Hello, hello. Welcome to the Drop the Stamp podcast. I'm excited to have Dave Lochin on the pod today, who is a multi-award winning young researcher in biomedical engineering. Dave actually developed a novel and remarkably soft shoe using magnetic levitation and machine learning. His mission is to combine modern research with everyday technologies to develop innovative solutions to joint and orthopedic problems on a global scale. He's also part of the Ice of Gangyal since they've attained a second place award in biomedical engineering. And among many volunteering activities, he is the president and volunteer opportunity coordinator at Indie Youth. So with no further ado, hi Dave, welcome on the pod. Hi Blanca, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you on and I'm just ready to dive deep into your STEM story and what you're passionate about. So let's start at the beginnings. Uh, what inspired you to investigate the wonders of our world? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So growing up as a kid, uh, I was always a very intellectually curious person. Um, I loved going outside and being in nature observing really what the world has to offer. And um, from there, I really started growing and developing because I started finding more and more new technologies that I could play with. And uh, someday, one of these days as a kid, I got my hands on magnets and I just fell in love with the technology and just how they work, the mechanics of it. So uh, that re that's really what led me into my science project, really my passion, especially what I'm here at Penn State to do as well. And it's real nice to hear since you are also continuing your research work at the university you're attending. But could you take us back to the beginnings and, you know, why of your research work? Because I know that you're using magnets, but in a more elevated kind of way. So I refer to the creation of the novel magnetic levitation system. All right, so going back to the beginning, I think around four years ago, uh, my mom was diagnosed with a condition called plantar fasciitis. And in that condition, uh, it's a lot of foot pain because one of the plantar fascia, which goes under the foot, it becomes very tight. So as a result, you get a lot of heel pain, uh, a lot of soreness in your foot. So you wake up with a lot of pain. And you know, at some point it just got to me, it really sucked seeing my mom in pain every morning. And I decided to take matters in my own hands after trying uh, orthotics, different shoes. So after nothing worked, took matters in my own hands and uh, taking my love for magnets, I thought, how about I take magnetic levitation because say, uh, opposites, uh, opposites attract, right? So same poles repel. And I took that and I worked with some orthopedic surgeons, uh, podiatrists, different kinds of doctors and engineers to figure out where the best placement for the magnets are. And over the next four years, or the past four years, uh, I developed the shoe using uh, technologies like AI uh, and just like machine pro material processing to develop a shoe that is ultimately very soft and great for people, not only who have like plantar fasciitis or any kind of foot condition, but for your everyday person who just wants a soft shoe. That's awesome to hear. And I'm sorry that your mom had to go through it, but it's also so inspiring that you, as you said yourself, you took matters into your own hands and you became the captain of this ship, so to speak. You've mentioned that you've used AI and it's something that it's not taught in school. So did you learn it all by yourself at home to um, apply this technology to the problem you were investigating? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my school did offer some uh, some coding classes, but fortunately I didn't have space for that in my schedule. So I didn't really have the opportunity to be taught by anyone. 
Um, I will say this for anyone out there who wants to get into coding. It does seem like a lot at first. Um, It's not easy at all. And you might be inclined to just like think, okay, let me just take a few online courses and stuff. But I think the best way to go about any kind of, of skill really is to just take the basic courses. Go to YouTube, go to Code Academy, free online resources, and just start learning from that. Get the basic skills and then start trying to apply them for yourself. Try to make your own projects because as you start building them, you start building upon those skills, refining them and perfecting them. And it's okay if you don't know everything. At some point, uh, you just have to like go online. I mean, Google's going to be your best friend if you're coding. Uh, look for different uh, different techniques or anything else that someone else out there has used and apply that for yourself. So that's really the approach I use. I use Python for machine learning and stuff. It's actually computer vision, but uh, I just I really had to just teach myself. It was a lot of just practice, trial and error. And I think just science and engineering in general takes just sheer grit to make things happen. That's really inspirational and motivating to hear to anyone listening that they can really teach themselves. And perhaps it might be a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning since you don't have a physical guide, um, like a guide in front of yourself in the physical form. But perhaps you'll learn faster by or through trial and errors or figuring out things for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I think that really applies to engineering in general. And you worked for quite a few years on this design. How did you test the effectivity of your shoe design? Did you have many alpha versions or beta versions even? What was the process like? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. Uh, I spent, I think, three years total on the project, three and a half maybe. And uh, I think throughout those three and a half years, I had maybe 12 prototypes, 12 different prototypes with 12 different, yeah, 12 variations. I mean, so most in the shoe industry, most people test the shoe by using something called an impact tester. Um, It's like a rod. It goes down and it presses, measures the amount of force it takes to compress it a certain distance. Unfortunately, I don't have access to like expensive equipment like that. And what I did instead, I had to find a different solution to test my shoe one way or another. Uh, And what I did was I used the idea of compression, right? And I apply that to the basic concept of deceleration. Now, if you think about deceleration, deceleration is how quickly something slows down, right? And in that sense, if something is soft, it'll have a greater deceleration or it'll slow down over a greater period of time, right? In that idea, I used an Arduino accelerometer to measure deceleration as I dropped the weight of a foot on a crutch. So I basically made a simulated leg right? Because you test a shoe in like real life conditions, but I wanted to make sure I had raw testing instead of human testing first, because there's so many variables in human testing. So uh, I made a simulated leg using a medical crush that you use when your leg is broken. And I loaded, I think it was 12 kilograms of total weight. And I dropped it on the shoe, I think over 9,000 times. It's really an accelerometer, MD, you know, MX2125 accelerometer. And I just dropped it over 9,000 times over and over just to see, okay, is this shoe soft? Shoe soft. Okay, let me change this. Shoe soft. Shoe soft. So it was just a constant cycle of testing, improving, testing, improving. Yeah. Wow. You must have got a lot of data points. Yeah, I <laughs> but it must have been impressive uh, for your eyes of judges. Yes, yeah, so it was definitely a conversation starter. 
Yes, I, I can believe that. And you you got to the final design, which proved to be effective. And I'm interested, where are you now at the project? What is your hope for its development? How do you envision it to evolve in the future? Now that I'm at Penn State, uh, I really want to take the shoe design. And uh, now that I spent already, I've already spent four years of developing it, refining it, and getting it to this point, I want to take it further over the next four years while I'm at university. And I want to turn it into potentially a company or a startup so everyone has access to this shoe and the technology that I developed. Because I really think, I genuinely believe that the shoe could really change the lives of many people, not only in pain, but people who are always walking, always on the job site, working, people who really need to invest in a comfortable, soft, and practical shoe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of shoe designs, I guess, we bear today. I'm not an expert in this field, but uh, they might lead to conditions like scoliosis or back problems. So as you said yourself, even for everyday use, it would be a perfect fit. Yeah. And, and even speaking further on that point, uh, it I think there is some deficiency. There's something called, so there's more medical technical terms called like, so there's something called gait deviation. A gait is the way that you walk and deviation is any kind of um, condition that can stray from from walking normally. Uh, one thing that's very common in this world is pronation and supination. Now, if you haven't heard of what pronation and supination is, so your foot is supposed to be neutral. You're supposed to be walking flat, right? You're supposed to have a little bit of an arc. But pronation is also known as flat-footedness, or when your foot starts caving in a little bit. And I think around 70% of the world actually pronates, and for many people, when they overpronate is when the problem happens. And that's when you can, if you can imagine, it's called a closed kinetic chain in your body. So if your foot bent inside, your ankles bent inward a little bit, your knees bent inward a little bit, your hips are bending a little bit weirdly, your spine bends a little bit, then your entire body's balance is thrown off. And that's all just because of that one slightly flattened arc. So... I think fixing pronation and supination can go a long way in fixing a lot of your body's problems. And that's actually what I implemented in my final year of ISEP. That's when I got the award. Uh, and that's when I also used the computer vision. So it's a really cool system because in computer vision, uh, I could actually take my phone, lean it up against the wall and show the back of my foot. And it could actually draw a line along the midpoint of your leg and your ankle. So basically your talus and draw like what the angle of pronation or supination is, which is what the industry uses to measure how flat-footed or high arc you are. And based on that, I had a whole magnetic array in the arc of my shoe, which helped lift your arc or help flatten your arc a little bit. So in that way, I could help correct pronation and supination specific to the individual. So it's like a customized shoe, but I think I can scale it up and make it very efficient to make. Mm. That's really interesting, and that makes a lot of sense. And now, as you've explained these terms to me, I couldn't help but I would wonder, you know, like I have no doubt why you won the award at ISEF because um, it just really makes a lot of sense, and it just shows how much uh, relevance it has in, in the real world. Congrats. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you so much. And since you're in this field, and I can sense that you have affinity for the medical field or and for the entrepreneurial aspect of the business as well, how do you imagine science and technology evolving in the future? And where do you see yourself specifically in that growth? All right, so speaking to the first part of that, 
I think I think one firstly it's just incredible how quickly technology has developed. And looking back maybe a hundred years, something as basic as maybe our smartphone was merely just an absurd idea out of our imaginations, but now it's just become a commonplace, right? Everyone has a phone. Uh, I, th- I think technology is just going to get uh, more and more developed. And specifically speaking to the AI aspect of it, I think that field is just going to blow up in the next, next I think, maybe 10, 20 years. Uh, we're going to see a huge increase in that. And a lot of what we're going to be doing in the world is going to be dictated by AI. And while that might be scary for some, I also feel like it's also a moment of growth and development for the human race, something that now that potentially either we can help develop that AI or um, we are also freed up to go do something better with our minds, right? Spe- even specifically to the medical field where I'm, I'm very interested in, I think uh, the potential for having robotic surgeons is a very real possibility. Uh, having medical diagnosticians, uh, AIs that can go through all your symptoms, go through all your lab reports, tests, catch every single thing that happens and make sure that you get diagnosed. Uh, so I think that's where technology is going. And as for where I see myself, I think robots can't specifically develop not only just themselves, but technologies to help, I guess, help the human race, right? Because humans are still going to be around. We're still going to be living. We're still going to have needs that need to be fulfilled. So I want to be hopefully continuing to build this shoe. Uh, my aim is to become an orthopedic surgeon at some point. I want to gain a deeper understanding for the human body because I think throughout this entire process of developing, researching, and building the shoe, testing it, I've really fallen in love with the mechanics of the human body. And I just want to get to the point where um, I can help develop more and more technologies to help make the human body feel more comfortable or just make everything feel better for it, alleviate any kind of pain. Did you decide that you want to be a doctor during this research work, or have you been always amazed by the complexity of human anatomy? (laughs) That's actually a pretty interesting question. So I've always had a profound interest in, in becoming a doctor, but more specifically, yeah, exactly, the complexity of human anatomy. I just think it's amazing how... We look at machines with like gears and uh, moving parts, right? But if you think about it, that same idea can be applied to, I guess, the body, right? Because we are a complex moving organism. Everything in our body is like a machine. We're like a well-oiled machine. So uh, I just find it really interesting how the body has always, how we just like slowly developed to become this like really fine-tuned and precise machine where any slight imbalance could really throw us off. But I mean, when we're functioning well, we are unstoppable, really. So, but this this shoe, the development of it, the research just really helped ignite that, make me sure of that I really want to go in the medical field and uh, I want to continue learning about the human body. This project really helped bring out that love for, for the body, especially. It's really fascinating the connection you made between machines and the human body since they seem to appear such distinct ideas, but they seem to have a lot of similarities as well. And I guess where a lot of people fear um, robots taking over the world is that they're going to replace human force. Isn't that a fear in the medical field? Or do you see it as a somewhat of a helpful tool? What's the stance about robots, you know, in the operating room or in other places? Yeah, that's a great question. So, 
Uh, I, you're right. You're completely right about people having a lot of uh, fears about maybe robots taking over potentially their jobs or any kind of like work in the hospital. I mean, I feel like people still don't have a solid trust over what AI has the power to do or robots in general, right? I mean, they're not very human. They don't have that soft human touch or the trust and warm empathy of it. But I do think, I don't think they're going to replace us as humans doing the job. Uh, I think humans are kind of essential to making sure that uh, the robot not only is doing its job, but also as like it knows how to make the thing happen. I mean, I think I think it'll be a great complement to a human surgeon or a human medical profession professional. But I think at the end of the day, we're still going to be have to be the ones running it. So there's no need to have like a fear of it. If anything, from a patient uh, from a patient perspective, I think this is actually a great advent for medical technology because. Um, Humans are also very imperfect. And not to say that AI is just, uh, we should just solar on AI because humans do also have a tendency to have that complex thinking, right? To make sure, hey, I have that gut feeling, something's not right, let me go check it out. I think AI is a little bit more meticulous, a little bit more careful in things that we couldn't check. So maybe uh, if a doctor is going through lab reports, right? They go through and order a bunch of tests uh, there's a chance that they may have missed something uh, with the potassium levels or something, and patient is suffering and they just missed that. Whereas the AI would have gone through, they would have scanned all of them. They have a set parameter, or maybe you can like code in that uh, if this one's low, then this one can also be a little bit higher. Either way, I think AI is a little bit better at detecting those smaller differences and presenting those differences for the for the human to really interpret because. The human body, again, there's like small, there's like variances, right? It's not like you're, you have to have like a set level. For machines, it's always like, there's a set boundary. It's either this, if it's higher, that's a problem. It's this, if it's lower, then it's a problem. But with the human body, I think there is some leeway, right? I mean, you can have a little bit higher, you can have a little bit lower. It doesn't mean that it's a problem just yet. So I think it's also up for the human to really interpret that. It is really true that doctors working the many hours uh, they work in the hospitals can miss some details. So perhaps, as you said, for data analysis, for pointing out the mistakes or for repetitive tasks, they can be a really nice addition. We just have to supervise them and just control uh, yeah. them to keep that face. And you're also doing a lot of voluntary works. So could you expand on the mission of Indie Youth? Yeah, I'd absolutely love to. So Indeed is kind of my baby. Um, I think back back five years ago, um, so the area that I'm from, uh, there's a lot of Indians there. There's a lot of, there's a strong Indian population. And as well, there's a lot of Indian youth out there. And something I noticed is that in my generation, right, uh, a lot of the kids were not in very, they weren't in touch with their culture. Uh, a lot of them we were starting to get a little bit more drifted away by, okay, very lot, lot of Americanism. Hey, my friends are doing this. Let me go do this. Uh, it's, we're just losing touch with our Indian background or Indian heritage. And uh, my goal with Indie Youth was to help bring Indians together and not only just realize our, our position as Indians, people from the Indian subcontinent, but also to become more of a unified force in the community to uh, go on and like, show service and togetherness with the people that you kind of identify with around the community. So making a good impact. So the mission of Indie Youth really was to um, not only educate the, the local youth on, I guess, Indian heritage, 
but also to bring them as a unifying force into volunteering and service around the community. That's really nice. And maybe you can attest to this fact, but I feel that Gen Zers may have an aversion uh, for tradition and you are literally making tradition cool again and showing that connecting to your heritage and to your past can actually help you getting to know your future a bit better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the best ways that we were able to do that for the area was uh, every year we used to work in conjunction with another nonprofit. The name's AIACPA. And uh, we used to help run this incredible fair for Pennsylvania called India Day, where we had almost 20,000 annual attendees. So every single year we had over 20,000 people attend. And uh, it was just incredible. You had live performances uh, that showcased Indian heritage, a lot of Indian culture and style. We had uh, a lot of pop-up shops where a lot of people were selling uh, Indian clothing or Indian books. Mm -hmm. It was just a really incredible experience walking around, uh, seeing so many people, not just from India, but from other cultures, exploring the Indian culture as well which I just thought was incredible to see this like amalgamation of so many different kinds of people coming from all over the world uh, just to see who us Indians are. That yeah. is so beautiful. That is really a nice mission and uh, not just for you, for the community, but also it's a, a good exposure for people who might know not a lot about Indian culture. Do you have like a specific thing, a holiday or something that you really connect with uh, when it comes to Indian culture? Um. Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of, uh, there's a lot of Christians out in the world, right? So I think a lot of us know what Christmas is. So Christmas for, I think, Hinduism, I guess the equivalent really would be uh, Diwali. Uh, it's a festival of lights, and it's just an incredible time. It happens usually in the beginning of November. It varies a little bit because we go off the lunar calendar. But uh, it's just an incredible time. Uh, it's a great time with family and the people that you love. We all just come together. Uh, a lot of food. So that is my favorite part of it. <laughs> I see. And Yeah. And so it's just it's just really awesome having that sense of togetherness. It's the Festival of Lights. Uh, there's a lot of religious uh, pujas or like ceremonies that happen at that time. Uh, I think it's just a time to be thankful to, to God for what we have. Because uh, in our religion, in Hinduism, Diwali is the time when our, our God, uh, Rama, came back from after fighting the demon and, uh, and now he's coming back to his home after being exiled for 14 years. So People lit their homes with little little uh, candles and uh, lit the path for him to come back. It's like a moment of celebration. So I think Diwali just not only has like a beautiful story behind it of good versus evil, but uh, it is just a great time to be with family. It's really interesting how even in this story, du dualism of light being associated with goodness and darkness with evil appears. Since you've done a lot for your community, what has your volunteering experience brought into your life? That's actually, it's funny you ask that because last night I was just talking about this with one of my friends. It was pretty late. It was one of those deep late night conversations. Oh, the best. <laughs> they are the best. That's my love language. Um, so I was thinking about this a lot. I've only talked about India so far, but I've also helped found two other nonprofits. One's called Ananta. So I'm the co-founder and vice president of that. And Yuvan. So, and Yuvan Initiative. Uh, both of them 
they have very similar missions. Essentially, it's about helping underprivileged kids in rural India gain access to hygienic materials and teach them how to live a sanitary and healthy life. Uh, I think it's a mission that's like pretty near and dear to my heart because, uh, I mean, I was born in India uh, and I've gone there several times. I've lived there for months at a time over summer vacation. And it is just incredibly heartbreaking to see kids my age, someone that I, I kind of relate with, right? And to see them uh, living in such difficult conditions, not only just money-wise, but uh, the hygiene is what struck me specifically. Um, some of them don't know what soap really is or how to brush their teeth properly. And to be able to help teach those kids how to take care of themselves, how to treat their bodies with love and respect that it deserves, uh, as well as provide them the opportunity to start doing that, I think it's just incredibly fulfilling, Blanca. I think working with indie youth and helping kids get in touch with their culture or with Ananta and Yuvan, uh, that it's just an incredibly fulfilling thing for you on the inside to know that you have made an impact on someone's life and that you've helped change things for the better. Because, I mean, I feel like a lot of us, we're very privileged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, fortunate to like grow up here in the States and I was I was well taken care of, and I think I think everyone deserves an opportunity to be taken care of as well. So being that person for for the ones in need is just an incredible feeling. Mm. It's incredibly fulfilling. Absolutely, love shared is love multiplied, and you are a testament to that. I love that line. That is incredibly well said. The mission is very important since I guess your body is your temple and, and you are teaching that it's it's not just only about a physical, but respecting the body you've been given. So it's also an added layer of meaning. And I think that's also really nice that you touch upon that. And now we're going to go back a little bit to ISAF and the scientific world. So after having, you know, many years of exposure to ISAF, which moments would you include in your top tier highlight reel? Wow. So uh, <laughs> I feel really fortunate to be able to answer this question like this uh, because I was lucky enough to experience ISEF in person as well as virtually. And uh, I think I think <laughs> if, you, if you kids still have the opportunity to compete for ISEF when it's in person, I think you should wholeheartedly go for it. I it's such an incredible experience to be able to shake hands with people from halfway across the world, kid, people's, kids that you would never have met. And uh, I think it is just humbling to see how small you are on a greater scale when it comes to not only the scientific world, but just the world with how many different kinds of people and cultures they are. So uh, I, I remember in 2019, uh, ISEF was in Phoenix, Arizona. And being, yeah, being, an, being able to meet people out there, uh, different kinds of people, and hang out, make new friends that I just wouldn't have had the opportunity to is just an experience I would not have given up for the world. And same thing happened with the virtual ISF this past year, 2021. Um, it, was, it was pretty cool. I think what, what society did with the online platform, I think it was just great because we had I guess all the features without the risk of COVID. So I still, I'm still in touch with all of my friends from, I have a friend from Croatia and Bulgaria, uh, a friend from Ukraine. Uh, it's just, it's pretty awesome that 
I got to meet so many people from so many different cultures. So I remember in 2019, I should finally answer your question. <laughs> 2019, I uh, I remember right at the beginning, there was, I think it was a, a little mingle party. It was a pin exchange, actually. The pin exchange was one of my favorite times because I got to meet so many different people. I still have a whole stash of all my pins. Uh, my favorite one was the Australian one because uh, I remember everyone was trying to go after the Australian one because they had the little koala bear hanging onto the Australian flag. It was just the cutest thing. So uh, I think the pin exchange and being able to meet so many people was just awesome. Judging day was also an incredibly fulfilling time. I mean, it's really awesome to see how many uh, talented professionals there are who care so much about STEM enough to like fly out for a whole weekend and talk to young scientists like you and me about our projects, things that we're passionate about and get passionate about our projects themselves. It's just really awesome. It's, it's just an awesome moment for science. I think ISEF is just a great experience because it's a celebration of a discovery. I think that's what science really is. Uh, exploring, <clears throat> exploring, and being in search of the truth. So it's just really awesome. It's just a celebration, Isaf. Well, you've had such an incredible experience, and it's funny that you touch upon the little details because I can feel like I also participated at Isaf 2019, and just two days ago I had a conversation along one with one of my great friends from Isaf, and um, I was just telling her that I there are like specific songs that we attach to specific memories, and I don't know if. The song is same to you, but I have the Old Town Road by Bullet Ray Cyrus. That is my ISEF song that was on the party after the judging day. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and that was awesome as well. Like we had a scientifically rich experience, but then we could party and have such a great time. It was actually the best. I remember the the after party was just awesome. I think they just, I think society is, I'm incredibly thankful to society for for hosting such an awesome event, giving us kids this kind of opportunity. I think it, ISIF is just the time of your life. So if anyone out there has the opportunity or is even thinking of, of taking a shot to be able to get to that point, take it. Do not think or do not hesitate. Take it because if you make it, you will have one of the best, most memorable experiences of your life. You're going to love it. I can guarantee it. Drop you can take that to the bank. <laughs> dropping the truth or the stem that's right that. that's what we're here for <laughs> and what would your advice be to newcomers into the scientific world this is something that's pretty important to me i'm really big into mentorship right because i've only gotten to where i'm because of my mentors and i want to be a mentor to other, other kids below me and uh something i tell everyone a lot is i think people often become intimidated like is my project enough? Is this cool enough? I don't have an idea to start a project. Where do I start? And to that, I really say, you don't have to overthink your project. You don't have to think, oh, is it complicated? Oh, I have to use AI. Oh, I have to use uh, some kind of crazy technology. Science happens with small discoveries. You start small. And I think the biggest thing that I would tell anyone is, if you're looking for an idea, looking for a project, there are problems all around us that need solving. Mm. So look around you, find something that's meaningful to you and go after it. Find anything and anything you can to make it happen and find a solution. Because when you're passionate about something, one, and when it's a problem that you see over and over, two, uh, you will do anything you can 
to make sure that that project is is solved in ways that I think you're going to be passionate about finding. So just make sure you're passionate about the problems that you're looking around for. But there's problems all around us to solve. So don't think too much about it. Just pick one up and run. Yes, we just have to open our eyes and start doing something in our circle of influence. Love that. Absolutely. And now we are in the if questions department, which is very typical of the podcast. And the first one is, if you were to list three essential characteristics of a scientist, what would those be in your opinion? Three essential characteristics of a scientist. I know, a biggie, a biggie. But yeah, it is a biggie. So uh, I, think, I think a scientist needs to be passionate, first and foremost. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Uh, people who have a passion for science, discovery, um, engineering, any of these fields, I, I think, will not only do well in finding a solution, but they'll also enjoy it. And I think at the end of life, at the end of the day, I mean, that's all that matters in life, right? Enjoying what you're doing. So again, that's all about finding that sense of fulfillment. So I, I remember uh, when I used to work on my shoe, uh, it was, they were the best days when I got a moment to, to chisel around or play with my shoe because that's what my passion was. So those are the best days when I used to go to sleep at, at the end of the day and uh, just feel good about what I accomplished that day. So I think passion is key, first and foremost. I think second is uh, that sense of discovery and curiosity. I think it really helps if you, um, if you grew up with that little sense of curiosity, playing outside, small little things where you just keep looking at something and you wonder more and more about how does this work? What if I did this to this? Uh, how do I manipulate this to make this happen? Again, it's like that scientific process that's slowly starting to build up in your head. I think just that sense of discovery is incredibly important. The third one, however, that is, <laughs> that's one to think about. What would you say, Blanca? Me? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, so you've talked about passion. I'm excited. Um, perhaps, I don't know if you agree, and perhaps you've touched on this. So it's also you answering the question in a kind of way because I'm feeling of your advice. But would you say dedication? Dedication. Oh, wow. That is, no, that's that's actually great. Yeah, dedication is 100%. I'm, I'm, I don't know about speaking in your experience as well. Go after me. But like, uh, I think it's that perseverance that only results from dedication that you kind of need in order to make your project work or maybe your passion work, right? And again, that stems from the passion. If you have the passion, then you'll make the de- then you'll have the dedication to make things go. But yeah, I think it's the scientific process, the engineering process, it's not easy. And uh, if you have the determination to go through it and make the project become a reality, you'll make sure it happens because you need to have that uh, failure is something you are going to encounter, so you should not let that like deter you or motive like demotivate you. Instead, you should use more motivation and use that to fuel your determination. What about you? What do you think about the qualities or yeah, about the qualities? I agree with you. And passion is one of my favorite words, not just because I love passion fruit, but it's something <laughs> <laughs> uh, that. Oh my that gosh. 
that connect to a deep desire within us, something that is, you know, unexplainable, but is that tug in our hearts that just keeps us motivated. So if I were to list, and I'm not copying, copying your homework, but I would also <laughs> list fashion as uh, one of the top uh, qualities. And perhaps compassion, which is just an added word, because um, as you've done but into youth and your volunteering activities, and I can test that when you think that something is bigger than yourself, it, it actually gives an extra meaning. You are not just fighting for an idea that benefits you, but that benefits a whole lot of other people. And that gives you a lot of strength. And wow, third one. Third one would be, I think, pushing through the gray areas. I don't know if there is a word for it, but I believe that we have like, quite a few times when we don't really have a sense of direction and just pushing through those times, uh, that grit, that continuity um, would, be, would be something that I would go for. Wow. That's all, those are all incredible points. I think, I think every young scientist out there should really just focus on on just being as passionate curious and uh, discovery minded as they can now you're completely right i love those answers i love yours too <laughs> oh thanks and the next if question is if you were a tsar of legal legislation what would you change about our society and why that is a very loaded question. Another biggie. Um, yeah, the if questions are about the more <laughs> philosophical ones, I guess. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good. That's a really cool question. Um, if I could change one piece of legislation, I think it would be to encourage more raw discovery, curiosity, and to really help people who need it, I think. I know we spend a lot um, in the U.S. I hear we spend a lot on, I guess, military or different programs that potentially I think we should try balancing things out because uh, we only advance through human research and development. Right. Uh, technology is going to lead us in the future. And I think I think we should invest more into our future rather than maybe warfare. I know it's easy to say and it's very easy to think about. But uh, I think I think we should really invest in our future and our technology, making the impossible possible. So helping encourage researchers, young researchers, uh, helping people who need it potentially, just like maybe I know I have that like experience maybe through Indie Youth or like Anantha and Yuvan. Uh, I think it's just important to advance to the point where the people who are living like that don't have to live like that anymore. So I, I definitely I definitely support discovery and, and researchers and helping grow the human population to the next level. And I guess that keeping peace and making sure that advancement is present in our society takes more strength than going into war and solving our problems through bloodshed. Yeah, absolutely. And the next question and I know that some um, U.S. college students have this on their common applications essay, but if you could have dinner with anyone living today or in the past, who would you invite and why? All right. So, yeah, that's another loaded question. I love these. These are amazing. I'm glad. So I think the biggest person I want to meet is uh, Nikola Tesla. Uh, it's not exactly the most common answer. I think a lot of people would 
lean towards like maybe like Elon Musk or someone or Albert Einstein, some of these bigger scientists. But Nikola Tesla was one of those people who was, um, he is like a hidden gem of the science world. He made a lot of the technologies that we have right now uh, possible, like AC power. Uh, he was like, he was like overshadowed by Thomas Edison a lot. And I think uh, he has like that underdog element to him, but he's just such an incredibly talented and well-versed scientist. And uh, as an aspiring, as an aspiring uh, engineer scientist, I think I just really want to learn from Nikola Tesla and see how uh, how his mind functions. How does he think uh, about the things that he does? How does he process the world the way he does? And maybe learn about the genius that that is the Nikola Tesla method of like development and everything. He's just made so many incredible breakthroughs, and I just, I kind of want to be like him, but I don't want to be overshadowed, of course, by Thomas Edison or anyone. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just, I'm just incredibly like inspired and fascinated by how much, uh, how much he's been able to accomplish and done do for the human race. And he's left such a bountiful legacy, absolutely. Yeah. And where would you take Nikola Tesla out? What would you eat? Where would you go? Oh, what I eat. All right. So I am a big fan of Taco Bell. Okay. So I know, I'm sure he's a distinguished man, but distinguished men should also have Taco Bell in their lives. <laughs> Taco Bell Tuesday, I guess? Taco Bell Tuesday, always, every day. With us. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of Taco Bell. Unfortunately, at Penn State, they uh, used to have a Taco Bell right in front of my dorm, but uh, they closed that right before COVID hit. So now oh, I'm... Okay. Taco Bell deprived. Wow, I'm sad to hear that. Yeah. Such bad timing. Yeah. Who would you Who would you meet? Oh, <laughs> I received this question during an interview. Imagine that, and I've asked this a couple of times, and um, <laughs> I was hesitant to answer because there are a lot of people. I might do, you know, multiple people. Um, Group party, dinner party, potluck party. Um, <laughs> And in my interview, I said a Swedish queen um, because I got to go to Stockholm for the science um, week and I wanted to speak to the royals. Um, when I was on my airplane, right, I read stories, countless stories about their children, about their missions and all the philanthropic works they do. So I guess I know them <laughs> like journalists do or even better. But um, I wouldn't want to share that conversation with her um, since she has the junior water prize and she uh, organizes a lot of STEM competitions for young people and just talk about her advocacies and um, perhaps motherhood and how she handles it all. So I, I guess it would be a nice conversation. That's a really unique answer. I mean, I honestly did not look towards the Swedish queen at all, but like, wow, I, I didn't know she was so accomplished. That's so cool. Yeah. The more you know, right? I learned things today. I'm glad. Um, and they are a very, I think, a low-key family. Of course, their jewelries were not at all low-key, but, you know. Um, <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're very normal people, and uh, they, they seem very helpful, you know, what, what they are accomplishing in their life and through their advocacies. That's awesome. That's actually awesome to hear. <laughs> and the next department of the podcast is the this or that questions game so as the name suggests i guess you know you gotta choose either or okay bring it on 
All right. The first one is night owl or early bird. Oh, I am. Oh, okay. So this is interesting considering I'm in college now. Uh, I am a heavy early bird, but unfortunately, I don't get the opportunity to do that here because uh, all my friends are night owls. And even if I want to sleep early, uh, I have a friend who comes back from maybe like a party and he starts knocking on the door. Uh, he like turns the light on. It's it's actually a little bit irritating, but I love him to pieces. So, I mean, I kind of have to become a night owl out here, but I still try my best to wake up early. So I guess I'm sacrificing sleep for that. How much hours of sleep do you get <laughs> if you're both at the same time? <laughs> yeah, so uh, well, actually recently I've been trying to focus a little bit more on the gym too. So the problem is you have to get from, I, I try to aim for at least seven to eight hours of, of sleep at night, but unfortunately recently it's been hitting around like five-ish. Mm. So I've been a little bit sleepy these days, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Got to make it work. Yeah. Especially during exam season, it can be very hectic. It is hectic. And I think, I, I think, Kids tend to panic a little bit. I've been trying to make, I've been trying to take a more responsible approach to studying these days, uh, especially, so I had all my exams, uh, not just this past week, but the week before. I had a few of my midterms and that was a ridiculous week. I mean, I think Tuesday I was, I think I left the house around nine in the morning. I came back at 10 at night. Wow. And I had like two exams that day, uh, a four-hour uh, chemistry lab. It was just, I mean, I didn't have time to breathe, basically. So I was just like eating my meals on in between classes. So it, it's, it's definitely hectic at times, but I think, I think we should start spacing things out. So that's what I've been trying to do. I think right now I have a little bit of like a low. It's been going down. It's going to start ramping up again. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to study what I've already like learning class so I don't have to cram all of that before exams week <laughs> oh yes absolutely that would be brutal yeah I mean I say that now but it never works out like that does it I mean yeah you try to juggle but there is always something that remains absolutely yeah, yeah. what about are you a night owl or a morning person um I'm more of a morning person so I if I have to study for an exam I don't pull an all-nighter but a an old downer I guess so I wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning or 3.30 if I can. And then if I know I have the exam at 8, 8, 8 o'clock in the morning, then I just revise all the materials. And that just makes me feel very fresh and prepared. So that's what I do. And yeah, that's exactly what I used to do in, uh, in high school as well. I mean, I wish, actually, you know what? After this conversation, I made my mind. I'm going to sleep early, whether they want to knock on the door or not, I'm going to sleep and wake up early. But I remember in high school, I had this new habit of uh, waking up early, like I get four or five in the morning, sleeping super early and just getting my work done. Because don't you just feel like really refreshed in the morning? I think I think more people should follow this because I think more of our generation is just becoming, they're becoming night owls, right? They love staying at night. I think everyone just has this impression that like once I started working, you just want to finish things off, even if your brain's starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah. But working in the morning, your brain just, you wake up so refreshed, feeling clean, uh, at ease, relaxed. I don't know. It's just awesome. It it's good to know that you are too. Like you wake up earlier than anybody else does. <laughs> yeah. It just... It's, it's an accomplishment too, right? Waking up, you feel like you've like done one huge task out of the day. Absolutely. Yes. 
it makes you feel a little bit special. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and the next one is extroverted or introverted? All right. So this is an interesting question because uh, so my friends say my friends would say I'm incredibly extroverted. Like I'm the person that if there's anyone random walking across, uh, I will be the person to go say hi to them, go talk to them, mm-hmm. have a conversation. And by the end of the conversation, we'll be friends and stuff. But personally, I think I'm a little bit more introverted on the inside because, I mean, I do enjoy, I love talking to people. Uh, I love um, meeting new people. And I'm not really scared of putting myself out there at all. I'm a pretty big talker, but I also enjoy spending time to myself. Uh, I love I love just like living in my own, own world too, if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, so you're more of an ambivert, right? You enjoy others' company, yeah. but you like to recharge your social batteries. Um, yeah, I, I like where I am. It's a good balance. And the next one is sweet or spicy? Sweet or spicy. All right, so I am Indian, and Indians have a reputation for eating a lot of spicy food. But I think, so I've been watching a lot of MasterChef recently. Um, yes, and so if the same thing I've learned from Gordon Ramsay's yelling is that you need to have all flavor components. So if there's sweet and spicy in food, I'm all for it. I love it. I think really good dishes have every kind of flavor in them. Mm. So a little bit of sweet, spicy, salty, savory, uh, umami. I think it I just like tingles your taste buds everywhere. Uh, I remember the first time I really, I had, I think my dad got a baguette from the store and we had some brie cheese and some gooseberry jam. And I was feeling a little bit inspired that day, a little fancy. So I toasted a piece of that baguette, got a little bit of a char on it to get that bitter taste on it. Uh, The baguette was, I think, a little naturally sweet. The brie cheese, a little bit salty. Uh, it's also creamy and smooth. It was really good. And on top of that, I put some of that gooseberry jam, which gave a little bit like a, a little bit sour pop on it, which is really awesome. So I took one bite of that and my taste buds were bouncing all over the place. So if anyone wants to try that out there, go for it. It is such a good combination. Well, I guess then after ISF, MasterChef is going to be your next destination. <laughs> That's right. I hope so. I mean, that'd be really cool. I love cooking. And the next one is take a plunge or test the waters. Take a plunge or test the waters. Oh, boy. I think that one really depends on the situation. Not thinking about it because... <laughs> so... The depth sometimes of the pool. It gets a bit... <laughs> huh? The depth of the pool, I guess. Yeah, the depth of the pool. It depends on how deep it is. You're right. And if I know... If I'm feeling like I know how to swim at that day. So I think... If it's a little bit more emotional, like something like that can really impact my feelings, I think I test the waters a lot more because I'm a little bit more careful with that. But I, I think that if it's something like science fair or anything that I'm passionate about, I just go straight into it. Even if it's like 50 feet deep, I just jump straight into it because <laughs> I know I'll figure it out on the way. It's like a whole process, right? So I'm not really scared of the process. Yeah. I know it's going to sound so cheesy, but it's about the journey, not about the destination. Yes, it is. What about you? Would you jump or would you test the waters? Um, I think when it comes to big life decisions, it's it's going to be test the waters. 
you know, choosing something that reflects my inner core and my inner values. So mm -hmm. I don't like to make um, hasty decisions in that regard. But when it comes to new experiences or like, as you said, like saying hi to people or um, more in the creative field, I, I'm definitely going to jump, take a plunge. Nice. As you should. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And the next one is travel back in time or to the future? Ooh, this is this is a really loaded question too. We'll start yeah, off with you actually. Like, what would you do? I have like certain periods in history which I would like to visit, but just for a day. Like I don't want to catch the plague or anything <laughs> yeah. or war. So it was just like a visit high and then go to another era. So I would definitely go back to history, back to the Renaissance or um, go back to, you know, Roman civilization and, and see perhaps Jesus in action, like those early oh, yeah. times. Uh, that would be really fun. No, like I would go back to where they had really nice balls in the 1800s in Russia and, and go to a dance and have a night out. Like I have like specific locations. <laughs> so that would be a, a whole mosaic of, of my interests. That is really cool that you have your priorities set. Oh, absolutely. Straight arrow. You know where you want to go. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I a pilot. I think I would want to go back in time a little bit. I mean, the future is going to be the future, and we don't know what that's going to hold, right? I guess like a surprise. I want to see what happens for myself, but I think I want to go back. Uh, you talked about like seeing Jesus in action. I definitely want to see how these religions started, and I want to meet the gods and everything. It just be such that would be, I think, a really cool experience. I, I don't think that sounds like an understatement too, a really cool experience to meet gods. No, I think that'd just be that'd be incredible. And um yeah, going back to these like major uh like innovations in in, in the human society, big turn like big turning points. I think I want to go back and like maybe even as recent as meeting like someone like Steve Jobs and Steve like Steve Wozniak. But actually, Wozniak is still alive. But I mean, meeting like these big pioneers, like the Vanderbilts or J.P. Morgan, uh, people who have really affected history with uh, innovation in the past. Yeah, that'd be really cool. So you also have a really cool itinerary. So yeah, be I... out of the world spiritual experience and also um, the advanced tech side of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I have both of them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And the closing question is that really wraps up all the things we've been um, expanding upon is what does science mean to you? All right. The most loaded question of them all. <laughs> Best for last. So um, I think, well, firstly, I'm incredibly thankful to science. Science has given me uh, everything I have so far and, uh, it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. I think, I think science is a facet for, for humans to pursue the truth. Any scientist would tell you that they're just searching for the truth, I think. Uh, science means uh, passion, discovery, all these like words that we talked about that scientists need to have, right? Uh, it's, it's just a life-changing experience, I think. Once you start digging into science, you start feeling that sense of passion or um, dedication. Uh, a lot of what I feel is based off of science, and I think it's just the pursuit of truth. 
I know there's this Kid Cudi song. I, I don't know if you know Kid Cudi. It's uh, he's a rapper out here in, in the states, yeah. and he has this really amazing song called "The Pursuit of Happiness." But I think science is the pursuit of the truth. Mm. Yeah, That's interesting how I brought a rapper into this. Oh, it's also very dropping the stem moment. And um, like during our conversation, I've really felt those qualities in you that you're passionate about science, but you also have the grit and determination to bring your ideas into reality. And I really wish you the best uh, for your future pursuits as well um, to be, you know, a good doctor, a startup, and continue your voluntary works. And I know that you not only will be a good expert in your field, but also a good human. So I'm really cheering you on and thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing all your messages and uh, advice to newcomers as well. No, Blanca, that really means the world to me, that coming from you. And uh, I mean, I think what you're doing with Drop the Sim is just incredible going around and like talking to young scientists. Uh, I've been following your podcast for a while, actually since the beginning with Rithik and everything. No, seriously, I've just been a big fan. And I think what you're doing, uh, bringing these like young scientists out in the limelight and showing others what science can really be like. I think I think a lot of the world has an askew perception on what scientists are. We're like very nerdy, very geeky, but we're also very passionate. We have other interests. And I just think that you're just the best for helping bring that out to the world. So thank you so much for doing Drop the Stem and for believing in young scientists like you and me, it's just awesome. You're just, you're an awesome person. I'm rooting for you too. Oh, thank you so much. I feel very appreciated and humbled by hearing your words. Follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook as well. As always, thank you for taking a few moments of science with us and stay tuned for the next episode.